Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful. Kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have been in the midst of a sermon series called Singing the Blues in a Post-Soul World, a riff on Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III's book called Preaching the Go a Blue Note Gospel in a Post-Soul World. Reverend Moss is the senior pastor at um, Trinity <laughs> United Church of Christ in Chicago, and his book has been very inspirational for me, and I hope this sermon series has been for you, too. I want to remind you that the, the blues emerged out of the church's singing of spirituals and then gospel songs, and those spiritual and gospel songs always told the truth. They always told the truth that there's something that's not right in the world, but there was always a touch of hope at the end, and that is true for the blues as well. The blues are soulful and dramatic. And the blues then also birthed the jazz. And jazz is that wonderful kind of music in which um, individual interpretation of the song takes place and then comes back together, all together at the end. And jazz gave birth to a tradition of music called hip-hop. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. Spirituals, gospels, the blues, R&B, jazz, all evolved out of the church. But not hip-hop. Hip-hop was street music. It was born in the street, in the midst of all the struggles of life that were happening at the outset of that new music genre. The hip-hop musicians refused to be silent about the challenges and difficulties of our world when the preachers were silent. Hip-hop musicians became prophetic in our time and perhaps taught a few preachers at least how to preach. Now, you may wonder what all of this has to do with the gospel message today. Today we hear the iconic story of Jesus riding triumphantly into Jerusalem. When religious authorities and political authorities had completely compromised the faith of the people, the, the religious authorities putting them in inconceivable rev regulations in order to be able to participate in all that is holy, to enter even the temple, Jesus took to the streets. He may have been the original hip-hop performer, taking to the streets, going into the temple, clearing it in a dramatic street theater, drawing attention to his words and his commitment to the love of God for all people. Jesus took to the streets, riding a donkey. Jesus didn't teach in the synagogues, although he went to synagogue and he went to temple, he taught in the highways and byways of his country. Just like his cousin, John the Baptist, before him, he taught 
in the hillsides, in streets and towns, on the sides of mountains, from a boat in the middle of a lake. And Jesus had a starkly different message than that shared by the temple. The temple said that you had to do this, and you had to do this, and you had to do this for God to love you. You had to behave in a certain way before you could even walk into that temple. Jesus taught with a blue sensibility, right? He knew the pain of the people. He felt the heartache of the people. He felt and understood their brokenness and their sorrow, their pain and their suffering. In how he taught and how he lived, he met the people where they were. He didn't shy away from the hard stuff any more than blues singers do. He revealed a truth in the world that things are not right in the world. He embraced the poor. He healed the sick. He welcomed and conversed with women and children and blessed them. He cared for the marginalized, even those who were not part of his faith. He talked to them. He touched them. He healed them in body, mind, and soul. And this morning, we hear that Jesus led a countercultural protest into the city of Jerusalem. With Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, arriving in Jerusalem from one side of the city, in an array of a professional processional proclamation of the power of Caesar. Jesus, on the other side of the city, Jesus, who had obviously pre-planned the march, arrived from the other side, humble, and riding on a donkey, a nod to the Hebrew scriptures that proclaim that one day that would happen. And Jesus comes, proclaiming the power of God. Make no mistake about it, as Jesus arrived, the people came out to greet him, putting cloaks on the ground and waving branches. And they sang a protest song. Do you hear that? They sang a song of protest. Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of God. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. That's a protest song. They are singing a song in direct opposition to the reigning power in their lives by invoking the coming kingdom of David, the great king of Israel and Judah. Not Caesar. I just have to wonder if We are up to the tasks of singing our own protest songs, the reality of the blues in our own world today. I loved in his sermon last week that Pastor Jonathan Cabrera, at the outset, at the outset, named the names of those killed in the shooting in Atlanta. It was a protest song of sorts, right? To name aloud those killed. And of course, all too soon, another shooting has occurred in Boulder, Colorado. And without forgetting those who died in Atlanta, 
Let us say the names of those who died in Boulder. Denny Strong, 20 years old. Prelana Bortkowiak, 49. Jody Waters, 65. Stephen Stanisic, 23. Ricky Oles, 25. Susan Fontaine, 59. Terry Liker, 51. Kevin Mahoney, 61. Linda, Lynn Murray, 62. Eric Talley, 51. And I look at all that. And they're all younger than me. They're all young people. And it takes my breath away. You know that the average number of people who die each day, not each week, not each month, not in the year, each day, the number of, on the average of people who die of gun violence of all types, um, mass shootings, um, domestic violence, police violence, um, riots, any kind of death by suicide. I mean, the number, average number, and this is just from 2019, we don't even know what's going to come with 2020 and now 2021. 109 people on average every day in the United States die by some kind of gun violence. In the last four years, there have been 40 million gun purchases. New gun purchases. And the gun trauma, as I read in an article from the New York Times this week, is not just about who has been killed and the families that grieve them. And it's not just about those who are injured and the families who care for them and the medical people who care for them. And it's not just about those who witness the gun violence. It's not just about that at all. It's not just those. It's you and me. It's our children and youth who practice protecting themselves from a shooter in their school. You know, I remember when we practiced... Uh, our drills. And when we practiced um, putting, getting under our desk and putting our heads down to save ourselves from nuclear war. And that was frightening. But this, I mean, this, our children and youth have to practice that somebody might come into their school with a gun to kill them? And us watching it over and over and over on television. And do you know what? The study showed that every time there is a major mass gun shooting in, in the United States, the gun sales go up because of the trauma people experience of wanting to protect themselves. When we all know that to have a gun in the house is dangerous for children, but also dangerous if somebody breaks into your house. It is likely to be turned on you. Well, I want to tell you something. I'm not opposed to people having guns. In fact, I support the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. My dad, Papa Hutt, was a World War II vet who jumped into France the day, the night, actually, before D-Day. He knew guns. He knew them well. And he owned guns, his father's before him and his own. 
And he kept them in our house, locked up with a visible lock on the gun case. He taught me how to shoot. I first learned how to shoot a BB gun. My grandfather set up an old uh, doorbell on the fence post, and if you hit it just right, it rang the doorbell. <laughs> I got really good at that. I'm sure it drove my parents crazy. Then Daddy taught me how to shoot a shotgun, and he took me hunting until I actually shot something and watched it suffer, and then I didn't want to go anymore. Years later, when my home was broken into and uh, I got anxious because I lived by myself, I asked Daddy that maybe he could give me a pistol. He said that was okay, but we had to go out on the property and practice shooting at first, my grandparents' property. I couldn't hit the side of a barn with that pistol. <laughs> It never went anywhere I pointed it at. <laughs> Instead, Papa Hutt suggested I get a dog, which I did. <laughs> Still, in the last years of his life, he ended his membership with the National Rifle Association because he didn't like the fact that there was so much gun violence, and it didn't seem that the National Rifle Association that ought to defend Second Amendment rights, but also ought to make sure that people were learning how to care for their guns and be careful with them and what to do, that, it's, that, that he didn't agree with that. And he also didn't agree about these big magazine guns with, that could rapidly fire. Uh, he, he felt like that it wasn't reasonable. It wasn't safe for people. We talked about the need for reasonable gun laws, universal background checks, gun registration, and rechecking registration. I mean, you know, every now and then you got to go back in and get your driver's license renewed. And maybe that would be good for guns too. But what I'm really interested in at this point is what song are we going to sing? kind of song are we going to sing in the midst of all of this in our country? Our Jesus, who rode into Jerusalem, knew his life was in danger, and still he rode into the city with a protest song ushering him along the way. So are we just going to look the other way, which is what happens with the next news story and news cycle? Are we going to forget the people who died in Atlanta and in Boulder, and now another shooting's happened? Not a big one, but still another shooting and another shooting and another 109 average a day. Are we going to stay silent in the midst of the carnage we're experiencing? You know, I read another New York Times article. I like reading the New York Times. And in that article, the people who had, uh, they had researched guns and gun violence for years. And what they said, listen to this, they said that the reason we don't get new gun laws is because our elected politicians who could do something about it know that it won't change our votes. People don't change their votes because of gun, gun laws and gun ownership. Are you ready for that? Maybe it's time we take up our protest song. Protest against those who will not care for people. And, and need I say that the, the poor among us are 
black and other people of color siblings are the ones who suffer at this more than anything else. And the boys, the boys, the boys get killed a lot. And women, women suffer from gun violence for men who abuse them domestically. I want to remind you that the blues emerged from the spirituals, and from the blues emerged the R&B, rhythm and blues, and from R&B emerged the blues, and from the blues emerged jazz, all of which came out of the church, but hip-hop was born on the streets. And I believe Jesus was a hip-hop musician. I believe that Jesus was an improvisational leader, that he assessed the situations he found himself in, and he pivoted as needed to address those situations with his words, his actions, his life, and even his death. But don't think for a minute that Jesus wasn't prepared. Just because he was an improvisational leader, he was prepared. He knew his holy scriptures. He knew what was going on. He knew what was going on in his world, evidenced by the fact that he likely prepared someone to have that donkey ready for him. And he likely prepared some people to gather up a crowd, to have a march, and to sing protest songs. He was prepared. But don't think for a minute that he wasn't ready. He pivoted as he needed to, but he was always ready to hear the beckoning voice of God calling him. And if we're going to change the gun violence in our culture today, we too, we too need to be improvisational leaders, an improvisational church that studies hard and prays hard and cares deeply and, and meets and talks about what we do. We will also sometimes fail. But that, then there will be some times when God and the Spirit will move in such a way that everything will come together all of a sudden. I mean, if we're going to make a difference in this sad, violent world, new church, and all of us who are new church and beyond, the church of Jesus Christ is going to have to become an improvisational church, something new. You know, you know jazz is considered a very dangerous kind of music. You know why? Because it is all about creating something new out of something old. And that scares the daylights out of people. Otis Moss and his wife Monica like to go to New Orleans. They like NOLA. I know there are people here and there are people watching that love NOLA, and, and that would be me and Stephanie, so many of us. They love NOLA. And so he described walking down one of the streets in New Orleans and seeing a man in one of the stores painting. And they thought the work was good. And so they went in and uh, looked around, and there was this beautiful artwork surrounding this man. And he had done it all. And so they began to you know, inquire, well, how much is this painting? And the man said, well, that's, those over there are $20. And then they walked around a little more, and they looked over at 
another group of paintings that were pretty magnificent. And they said, well, how much are these? And he said, those are $1,500. And so Otis Ross asked, why are these over here so much more than these over here? Since you're the same artist. And the man replied, well, those over there, I painted. But these over here, God designed. He said, you have to understand that I did all the work on these paintings, but God gave me an assignment. God called me. And, and God asked me to, to paint. But when, when the paint was still damp, that I was to carry that paint out into the storm and let the rain come upon it and leave it out in the storm. Because you see, when a storm and the rain beats on the canvas, something unique, something miraculous happens. Close your eyes for a minute. Imagine people of our faith community, imagine people in our community, imagine people in our country, and begin to paint pictures in your head of the vast diversity and beauty of the people in our world. Close your eyes and imagine for a moment that you, that we, are able to transform lives, care for the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely, and for each other. You can open your eyes now. I believe in the deepest place of my heart that we are called to change the violence of our world into a new composition. Envision yourself in the act of what God is doing in you, and through you, and with you. Now! New Church, and all those who are worshiping with us today and in the days ahead, all whom consider us part of your faith family and your church, I say to you, take what you have into the storm. Take your gifts and give them to God. Take them out into the storm. Let God use those gifts. And God will beat upon the canvas of your life and your spirit and create something new that has never been created before. Take your spirit and your very soul into the storm. God will create in you a protest song within you that will change your life and certainly the lives of others and change our violent culture into a new song. In today's story, we hear that Jesus took what he had into the storm. He dared to live a life that was God-directed, God-loved, God-envisioned. Yes, in the blues of that life, he was executed on a cross by the state and the religious leaders of his day. But through his faithful singing of his own protest song, he changed the world forever for you and for me. And God, our God, was with him in the storm and raised him up. And so will raise us up as well. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.